This is Lindsay O'Donnell Welch with Decipher. I am here at Black Hat in Vegas with John Checo, the resident CISO for Proofpoint. John, how are you? Glad to have you. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. Are you uh, enjoying Black Hat so far? Has it been? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. Uh, uh, as we said before, it's ironic that you know for a group that's uh, so into uh, risk aversion that they're in a place where the business is risk. Yes, exactly. Yep, that there's a lot of risk in the casinos downstairs that happen. So, yeah, well, it's it's really nice to actually meet someone in person as opposed to kind of over Zoom or WebEx or what whatnot. And you specifically specialize in financial services, so you are looking at banking security and how did you get into first of all security, cybersecurity to start, but then also into financial services. So let's go. Uh, I'll work my way backwards. Uh, former Bank of America um, for about six years. I developed their zero trust strategy. Uh, prior to that, I was at Bloomberg um, and Bloomberg had a very small security team, so we wore many hats. Uh, could tell you tons of stories there, but uh, I'd rather not. Um, but you know, I had my own uh, consulting firm for about 20 years and um, I worked for 9X Research back in the 1993 to 98 time frame when the internet was just first coming out. Mm -hmm. And I told you before that I have a check mark on my badge, right? Yes. Um, I actually started uh, at 9X Science Technology looking at the internet and seeing what was out there. Uh, for those of you who remember, Gopher was the protocol of choice back then. Uh, so uh, we had a small team, three or four people, who would go and see what damage we could do to the internet. And part of it was um, sending international uh, alphabets or international uh, characters to uh, a lot of sites, uh, gopher sites, websites, FTP sites to see what would break. So the check mark kind of came became my signature uh, my signature character that I would send to uh, sites to see if I could break them. And um, I use it over and over over the years. Uh, I can tell you right now, there's a big HR company that could not handle that particular character. As of 2011, so maybe 10 years, over just over 10 years ago. Yeah. So, but that's pretty modern, and if you think about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm so curious. Obviously, you've been at this for a while. Like, how you've seen the landscape shift or, or transform over time in financial services, but then also from from a CISO perspective too. Yeah, it's. Um, I tell you, uh, you know, looking at the internet from where it started as an academic exercise. Um, and also a military exercise uh, going into um, uh, commoditization uh, is, is just phenomenal. It's like one of those big turning points. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk today about the generative AI being that next turning point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm taking a wait and see approach. Yeah. <laughs> that, so. yeah. Yeah. It's there. A lot has changed and a lot of like, there's a lot of new technologies too, to your point about kind of AI and like the, the, um, I don't know, like discussions around that. So I think it's actually going to be a big, big factor. I just don't know which direction it's going to go in yet. So yeah, it does seem like a lot of um, you know CISOs are kind of taking a look at it, from taking a step back and, and looking at it and trying to think about that right now. And yeah, as opposed to making any. Yeah, actually, I was just reading a, a report from the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. From it was a Chief Risk Officer report. It just came out a few days ago. 
And um, they said, in fact, I have the notes here. They said uh, 60, or no, I'm sorry, 45% of CISOs, or 45% of chief risk officers um, are hoping to take a wait and see approach or a slowdown with uh, generative AI implementations. Um, and I think that's important. I think because the guardrails technology or, or legislation hasn't caught up with technology, technology hasn't caught up with um, the use cases that people are, are applying to this, uh, this new technology. So yeah. um, it's, it's kind of like an OODA loop, uh, you know, observer-oriented side and act. Uh, and I think, you know, people are just using this fast and furious. And so, uh, again, I look at that world like I'm on forum and I see that almost half of the chief risk officers are saying, well, we need the guardrails first and then we'll figure out how we can put it into our company or organization. Mm -hmm. And that's probably especially true for financial services. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so true with like anything that has kind of popped up um, as it relates to uh, cybersecurity, like whether it's been IoT and people just kind of, you know, dive headfirst into that. And then afterwards, we're, we're all like, oops, we should have, uh, you know, <laughs> we should have yeah. done a little more there. Well, the irony is, is, uh, you know, with the mortgage crisis, uh, you know, they were basically uh, packaging bad debt and reselling it as a new financial instrument. Um, the SEC from that mortgage crisis came out with the uh, a transparency rule saying that all financial instruments need to have transparency. Mm -hmm. um, they did not take into account that AI would be part of that equation, but I think that's a great rule because now uh, financial instruments that are using generative AI or AI models or machine learning, whatever you want to call it, to create um, the alternatives or the options or the decisions, um, this SEC financial transparency rule will come into play. And I think uh, organizations, financial organizations, need to start understanding how that rule plays with AI. So I, I, actually, this is one of these lucky coincidences that I, yeah. I find with the SEC. Yeah, yeah. And do you see, like, I mean, obviously, there's just, like, a tangled compliance and requirement type things that, um, you know, financial services, but then, like, different organizations across any, any um, industry need to deal with. Like, I'm sure that poses kind of another wrinkle in all of this with AI and it's it's amazing uh, again um, the examples I've seen uh, just uh, in the last day at the CISO summit here mm -hmm. um, just kind of blew my mind uh, you know there were use cases I, I never thought of that could be used for AI um, excuse me that were using AI mm -hmm. um, and that's from people who have a good conscience. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, is that good, good side or <laughs> the good, the bad side of it? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna yeah. see, but yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that, well, that, that kind of goes into another aspect where you know we talk about responsible AI, responsible automation, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these uh, self um, self policing guardrails, which are great until the bad actors happen because they don't really follow the rules, laws, they don't follow guardrails, they don't really care about um, uh, self-policing. So, you know, as many guardrails as we put in, um, someone's going to get access to the source code and build their own AIs, and we've seen that, right? Worm AI fraud, it, Worm GPT fraud GPT, um, there's a, there's their versioning. Um, I think of the old, um, well not old, but recent um, use of Clearview AI. Clearview AI was <clears throat> Excuse me. Clearview AI was a, uh, a solution that would take facial uh, pictures and uh, match them against social media to find out where that person was and who they were. And in the banking industry, we were experimenting with it with ATM fraud, right? An ATM card gets stolen, 
the ATM takes these high resolution pictures and uh, we were tracking down criminals who, who were, you know, uh, accessing ATM uh, mm -hmm. machines. That being said, you know, Clearview AI um, had bad press. Uh, they, uh, they were basically shut down mm -hmm. um, because of the ACLU and some civil liberties and some of the, the abuses that we saw in, um, in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. That being said, the source code was stolen. So what's yeah. to say that the threat actors aren't using Clearview AI in their own, uh, right, for stalking, tracking, whatever? Yeah, there's definitely some insidious use cases that could be applied there. I'm, I'm so curious when, you know, when you're a CISO in, in financial services or just in any organization across different sectors and, you know, another leader comes comes to you and says, we want to introduce these new types of technologies or like we want to include AI or like any other sort of innovation that's happening that may not be fully secure as far as you know, like, what would a CISO do in that situation? So, yeah, and, and at Bank of America, I actually, actually used to run the security assessment team, which handled that mm -hmm. at a scale level. Um, so you have to ask a few questions. Uh, I used this chainsaw methodology uh, for system design, but you can apply it to security. So you go into the store to buy a chainsaw. As a chainsaw salesperson, you want to make sure that you show the benefits to all the safety features. You want to show all the, the, the well-designed ones versus the shoddy ones, right? Um, you want to show that the ones that are the best are usually um, built as they're designed or and so and they function as they're built. So you, you kind of follow that chain all the way down. And maybe if you're a good salesperson, maybe you have some you know, lumber out in the back and you want to teach the user how to use the tool, mm -hmm. right? To make sure they know how to use it properly. The one thing the salesperson never asks which they should ask is, what are you going to use the chainsaw for? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not wood. Maybe it's the neighbor's couch that he threw out in the front yard or something. You know, yeah. or maybe it's you know something more insidious. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about system design and, and security assessments, we have to ask that last question: What are you using this for? What's what's what do you what's your end goal? And then let's work away and say, okay, this particular technology works to help you with that. And what's the side effects? What are the impacts, right? So you have to go do the threat modeling aspect of it. But if you don't ask the use case in the beginning, you could go, you could okay something, um, and then all of a sudden find out it's not being used for what it was meant for. And yeah. that happens all the time. So that's how a lot of the threat actors work, right? They look at uh, existing technologies and say, how can I subvert it or use a different use case on it? Beyond AI, like what are some of the big topics that you're seeing right now in financial services as it relates to security or, you know, some of the big challenges, I wow. guess. Wow. Um, yeah, with the challenges, obviously, um, insider threat uh, is a big challenge or data. Let's talk about data loss in general. So yeah. for financial institutions, data loss happens in two phases or two areas, right? You, ha you have the organization which has its own funds and then you're managing client funds. So there's kind of two pools of money that you can, as a hacker, you can uh, look at. Um, but there was a study, actually Proofpoint's Voice of the CISO study this year, said that uh, over 60% of CISOs reported that a data loss incident occurred because an insider was leaving the company mm -hmm. and they took something with them. Huh. That's, a, that's a high percentage. Yeah. And in fact, um, across uh, globally, I believe it went from, uh, you know, in the high 50s to the 80%. Oh, wow. um, so that's that's concerning, um, you know, especially since 
again, in financial services, there's two, two avenues of data loss that you can uh, go after. So I think insider threat is always a big thing. Um, I always worry about uh, ransomware. Okay, so ransomware is big. Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, stopping delivery and, and mitigating the payload, right? So if you think about ransomware two stages, you know, they have to deliver the malware and then execute the malware. And uh, we're looking at that, uh, and we're handling it pretty well. But what's next? What's, what's around the corner? What's the generative AI, uh, you know, yeah. threats that are coming? And so uh, we don't know. We, we, we have some inkling, but, you know, they're creative. And uh, we have to kind of prepare ourselves for uh, what's next. And I think from an operational standpoint, um, supply chain. Mm -hmm. Supply chain, third-party risks. And, and this is due to a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you know, with COVID, everybody uh, was all of a sudden working from home. Mm -hmm. uh, so now with using BYOD, uh, bring your own device rather than managed devices, um, a lot of the legacy systems, systems were ported to the cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a lift and shift rather than a refactoring. So a lot of the inherent security that you have with a perimeter or closed network are now on the cloud in an open network. So you have those issues. Um, and then you have uh, SaaS providers who are just, you know, you, you're, you're moving some legacy systems that you can't move into the, into the cloud. You're actually abandoning them and going to SaaS providers. So your exposure from suppliers are huge. And I don't think, um, again, I don't think the regulations and the guardrails have caught up with the use cases in those, in those areas. To your point, like insider threat is really interesting to me too, because that's not necessarily like something that could be malicious too. I mean, a lot of it is just yeah. <laughs> like accident errors, you know. So this, yeah, we, we classify as three types and, and not all companies classify the same three types, but we, uh, we talk about accidental users, which is about 58% of all um, uh, insider threat uh, issues. Um, we talk about uh, the malicious insider, right? The people mm -hmm. who are leaving, they make up another 25%. And I think uh, the last 17% are the, what we call account takeovers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the more controversial one because uh, some companies view account takeovers as an external threat, but Proofpoint, we consider it an insider threat. Why? Because they have the insider credentials and the insider access, right? So yeah. the entitlements. So uh, it, it should be treated as an insider threat. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for offboarding to offboarding policies, like you've got to be able to catch that. The Especially with on. the yeah. all the SaaS providers, right? If you yeah. think about this, they're not all connected into your Active Directory or your uh, credential store. Mm -hmm. So they all have their own credential store. So your offboarding process now has to take into account all these multiple um, SaaS providers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To your point about kind of account takeover, I know that Proofpoint just today released a new report about the um, evil proxy phishing yeah. toolkit yeah. that was being used for, um, I think it was like thousands of different organizations and they were specifically targeting executives, which was really interesting. Yeah. And I think, again, the MFA, they were using a reverse proxy for MFA bypass and a reverse proxy is used inside of companies to see who's accessing the internet. But well, from an ex outside the company, the reverse proxy is being used to actually uh, put the attacker in the middle of that of that uh, token chain. Mm -hmm. So with the uh, MFA bypass, um, you want to try and get the most uh, return on your investment. So yes, they're going to go after people who have access, who people who have entitlements, people who have uh, you know uh, the administrative rights. Right. So, uh, again, the executives, uh, the system admins, um, again, uh, criminals run a business just like we run a business in that. So they're going to yeah. go for the path of uh, best return on investment. 
Yeah, those are like the top tier like accounts that yeah someone would want. It was interesting that they were like if they did come across different potential victims that were like not executives, um, they kind of would you know. So yeah, this. and what happens if if uh, when a threat actor gets inside of a network, um, they'll do what they call lateral movement mm-hmm. and they'll inspect and see what's going on. Um, so when you're dealing with people who don't have elevated privileges. It's a dead end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to get elevated privileges from from that person. So again, they're going to cut their losses and just go to the next uh, next target. As a CISO, um, how how would you approach that situation, or like how would you approach phishing, like how, or some of these other big attacks? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's a we call it layer defense or defense in depth, right? It's a common uh, common uh, tenant of security where you know you start from training and education, right? Making sure that uh, you're not training to the fishing test. You're training to actually deal with fishing, and um, you can include the story if you want. I was actually at one of the financial firms, and uh, we had uh, a fishing program uh, uh, very early on, and uh, people were passing the fishing program fishing tests uh, fine. They were 98, 99 percent, but yet we were still getting the same number of uh, malware attacks uh, through phishing links that we were before. Why? Well. The incentive was for the employees to pass the test, so they would hover over the URL and see if it was an internally generated URL or an external, and so they'd know it was a test right away. Oh, interesting. So, they, we, <laughs> yeah. so we were training them to yeah. pass the test, not to identify yeah. fishing. Yeah. What we ended up doing was we created a, a employee bank account, mm-hmm. so anytime you uh, spotted a phishing test, you got one funny dollar, right? And yeah. um, uh, if you found, if you spotted a real fish, you got five dollars. Huh. And um, if you tried to gain the system and say, "Well, it's corporate emails fish," you got subtracted money. Yeah. But what happens is you can use that money in the corporate store mm-hmm. to buy things. Oh, that's and interesting. So yeah. what happens is the incentive was for them to uh, find the fish, mm-hmm. not the fishing test. Yeah. So you have to change that behavior. So that's that's number one. Making sure the behavior is is they're in the right mindset. Um, number two is to monitor, right? So, uh, you have to uh, look at uh, what's coming in, right? Is it uh, a? Is it uh, malicious links, malicious sites? Is it uh, reaching back out, mm-hmm. um, or is it a known uh, bad site? Uh, other things, uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is the user uh, using the system the way they normally would, right? right. Um, after they click on a phishing link, normally with a remote access Trojan, um, you'll start seeing activity that's not normal. Yeah. So you have to start seeing that. And again, uh, you have to look at delivery and payload. So delivery is how that, that malware is getting in. But once the malware is in, what are we doing to mitigate it? And that's where that, that activity monitoring uh, comes into play. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different kind of processes there. Uh, and then if, if you tie, again, insider threats to back to data loss, Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the data that's being manipulated, uh, data movement. Uh, I call it cross-borders because the network perimeter is no longer a network perimeter. So you have to define what's the border, where should data be, and where shouldn't it be. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you start looking at where data shouldn't be, you can start building triggers and saying, okay, this data moved from you know, a network share to um, a, you know, a web upload page, right? Yeah. That's an obvious trigger. Mm-hmm. But there's uh, also some, some not-so-obvious ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice that there's like a lot of different um, breadcrumbs that could be left that would help uh, in yep. defense there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, just uh, before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask um, a little bit about kind of, 
your experience as a CISO and like what, you know, what you're seeing for CISOs in the landscape, like any challenges or like any trends that you're seeing there? Um, yeah, I, th- I think as far as, you know, the challenges, um, the biggest challenge right now, I, I think, is the, the new SEC updates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had a, uh, a Form 10-K that you would have to identify your risks. Uh, when I was at one of the financial firms, uh, we looked at that and says, well, we're not going to put down any risk that we aren't, haven't already mitigated, right? right. Um, we're not going to expose ourselves. You know, the SEC has all these noble intentions, right, mm-hmm. protecting the investors, but they're not the only ones who read these 10K reports, right? So. Right. Um, we're not going to, as a finance firm, we're not going to expose ourselves to undue risk because we have to report risks. Right. Um, the fact that now the SEC is requiring uh, more details mm-hmm. is, again, a balancing act. So uh, I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges. I think the SEC um, requiring the four-day reporting mm-hmm. and not, uh, not requiring uh, cybersecurity or technology expertise on the board mm-hmm. is to me personally, kind of backwards, right? Yeah. Um, I think if uh, if you're looking at the short tail, right, the reporting is important, but the long tail is the cybersecurity expertise, right? The strategic, right. the direction. Um, you need to have a champion on the board to help you get your uh, your uh, initiatives through, mm-hmm. and um, so I think the SEC uh, needs to reconsider that that end of things. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've heard experts say that as well, and especially with the kind of four-day reporting guideline, just that it's going to really kind of change how organizations are going to need to um, respond really to incidents and how, and they're going to have to kind of update their playbooks and like team in with legal and like communications. Uh, You know, uh, yeah, I I would say one of the things that I think all CCOs should consider though, is that your first call for any Confirmed incident should be your uh, your general counsel. Mm-hmm. Let them handle all the externalities, right? That go along with the the incident management. That way, you can focus on you know uh, your your own playbook. Um, right. So uh, that's my one big piece of advice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then to your point about the board as well, like I think that that's it's important because it's something a lot of people have been looking at. Like, how can organizations the responsibility of security come come on to the board members as opposed to just the CISOs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, without having technology expertise on the board, um, it's harder to find a champion um, on the every executive will have a champion on the board that mm-hmm. helps um, push uh, or, or explain to the board uh, or support the board when um, when you're making your presentations. So it's harder to find a champion who will understand all the nuances of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You may have someone who's excited and wants to be your champion, yeah. um, but if they don't understand all the nuances, um, they're not going to get the right point across. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you think we're heading in the right direction with that, given where CISOs have kind of come from? Like, do you think that hopefully leadership is and and the board is going to be like more like passionate about maybe not passionate but like understanding of security and the business risks that um yeah uh, you know i'm torn because uh the there's more focus on esg than there is on resiliency yeah (laughs) uh and cyber resiliency and, and that that's kind of uh I, I hope I'm hoping that changes. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we start putting more focus on cyber resiliency or operational resiliency um, through cyber means. Um, 
on the board as much as we do with ESG. I guess we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. But Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time during Black Hat. I know it's a busy, busy week for everyone. So I really appreciate you taking well, thank the Thank you for having me.